0: Hey, my name is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. Now, thanks to everybody who listened to the live-action Cowboy Bebop podcast I put out. If you haven't, since I did it late, since I recorded that the day before Thanksgiving, meant to release it the night of Thanksgiving, you know, tryptophan got to me and I fell asleep before I could. Um, so I actually leaked that early that Friday morning. So if you haven't heard that, go check that out. Um, but I wanted to talk today about um, something that was inspired by something that I ended up thinking about after starting the new Netflix series Super Crooks, which is actually what I'm probably going to do my next day episode about but I've started thinking about a adaptations in the other direction, meaning like li- taking live action and or and or Western comics and adapting them into anime or even really like Use of non-traditional anime genres. What I mean by that is, like, there's there's all kinds of genres of stuff in anime. And if you're thinking of anime as a genre of entertainment, you're really thinking about it wrong. Um, you should be thinking about anime as a medium to of storytelling and, and entertainment. That's really what it is. In the same way the animation, period, is a medium. And... But, no less, because it comes from... A culture that has its own, like... Genre conventions and unique genres... You more often than not get things in... You get things in anime... That you don't get many other places. Or the translation... Or the, like next nearest thing isn't... isn't really the same. So, a great example of this is, um... the idea of Slice of Life, um... anime. Slice of Life anime is really just... like, you're looking at somebody's life. The best way I can really... the best thing you can really compare that to in, um in, like, Western, in in Western media is probably mumblecore. And if you're not aware of what mumblecore is, mumblecore films are films that are kind of meandering and slightly about nothing. Um, But the, the best, like, one-to-one example of you, like, what does a slice-of-life thing look like in, like, a Western form. I would go look at something like... like, Boyhood. Or, like, the... or, like, the After the Sunrise films. Things that aren't super concerned with presenting, like, a big fantastical idea. And actually, Garden State is a probably another great... it's a, like, mumblecore staple but also it's, like, that's a pretty good slice-of-life comparison, like, Western slice-of-life thing. And, but what that also means is that that translation doesn't often happen the other way, either. What I mean by that is you don't... You don't usually get great anime and manga things that are just inspired by what there are very that are really inspired by western um western western movie concepts um and one of the things that um i one of my favorite one of my favorite kinds of movies is heist movies. Um one of my my absolute favorite movie trilogy is the Ocean's 11. It's the Ocean's franchise. Um and actually it's like not a trilogy. There's Ocean's, there's Ocean's 8, there's Ocean's 11, 12 and 13 and then there's Ocean's 8 but Ocean's 8 is supposed to be like the fourth movie in the franchise and it's great, but it's it's also a different thing. Um, but, the, and the reason the Oceans, the Oceans franchise stopped for a time was because one of the cast members straight up died, like, Bernie Mac is dead. <laughs> and they were all like, well, we can't, we can't actually do this without Bernie Mac, so, that sucks. Um, but, in, that kind of heist movie is a pretty... American tradition, although there is, and I haven't watched it yet, you can go watch it on Netflix, there is Bad Genius, which is supposed to be, like, a Taiwanese teenage Oceans movie all to its own, which I find incredible and I need to watch. But the... And part of the reason why it works so well for... um, for... Uh, like for a, as a movie concept, the so like heist movie because it's got a pretty definable form. You don't really need any kind of like superpowered humans. Everything that's done can be done by a human, and um. Th- and there's all kinds of great heist movies. It's like now you see me the heist movie about magicians just deal shit, that's pretty fun um there's one with Pat, with with, uh, Pat, with not Patrick Twayze, um, although I'm sure there is one with Patrick Twayze, there's one with, um what's his face from Highlander um, but that, but there's a bunch of different heist movies it's a, it's a specific genre and it's Got a bunch of its own conventions, and my favorite movies in those in that genre is usually like an Ocean's Eleven style thing. Another one is The Italian Job. Um, that one's okay, but it, it, you kind of get the point there is it, is that heist movies are pretty traditionally an American affair, at least as far as I've encountered them. So it's really interesting to see the two anime series that have kind of taken up the mantle of like heist con artist things and those two those two shows both being actually Netflix original shows, Super Crooks and The Great Pretender. And the idea is that they and the Conventions that they're playing with are very, kind of, Americanized conventions. In Super Crooks, it's like literally super villains and superheroes kind of thing, and in, um, in The Great Pretender, it's like hardcore long con style things. And if you look at uh the former Super Crooks, it it is like a one to one to in certain ways to a ocean's to like an oceans film it, the great pretender is definitely inspired by it like seriously inspired by it but not as one to one in many cases but the so the overall is that you you have you have a different- you have a different group of creative people with different skills and different kind of senses about what's important in the in whatever, in in a heist franchise making these things and they still feel a whole lot like you're watching a traditional heist or con artist thing. And it just struck me as really it struck me as really interesting that especially with um Super Crook, which is actually adapted from an American comic by Mark Miller of all people, um, it strikes me as really interesting to see a whole different Culture just like take the ball and run with it, and yes, there are some, there are some oddities because, it, that are avoided in, that are avoided in um, in the Great Pretender, which I've done a full on podcast about, by the Great Pretender being a really international show, like if, the Great Pretender takes the same approach to like we can't fuck the, we can't fuck up. Any one particular culture, if we are in, if we are in enough different cultures, where like, kind of every couple episodes we're switching venues, constantly. Like they have, they have a arc in that show that takes place. I think in Paris, they have an arc that takes place in straight up Los Angeles. They have an arc that takes place in Japan. But, um... In the... In, uh, what's it called? In... Super Crooks, eventually they do... It's like the last arc of the show is in, like, a facsimile of Japan, which makes it feel less like, yeah, but do. Does America work like that? And the very first episode of um Super Crooks has the very um has has the same kind of feel almost as what's it called? As um Oh man, what's that what's that adaptation of um what's that adaptation of a Marvel comic that happened a bunch of years ago? It's got Stan Lee in it. Like, it's got anime Stan Lee in it. Um, But it feels very much... Feels a little bit like America Yeah kind of thing. Although it's way better about it. And the... And the... Both shows... And I'm, I'm, I'm... Pretty sure we'll we'll get more of. We already have gotten more of um, the Great Pretender, but I'm pretty sure we'll get more of the like genre of heist things because they're both incredibly unique and incredibly they're both they're both incredibly successful at being just heist stories, not just like weird experiments with the form so and i i'd be curious to know how both of them did because the great pretender i know people watched it i've something about super Crook says that people are gonna watch it so these things these two series will probably be fairly successful meaning that they'll open the door for like other for other um for other studios to want to do stories like this, which excites me because I like heist shit, but also it's really interesting because once again, heist stories are a very specific thing. They have been there are so like a a quasi movie staple genre in America. But it would be really interesting if they could be a quasi movie st- staple in, say, Japan or on, on, or East Asia at all. And the last kind of the last kind of thing I want to talk about here is a it's an episode of um, Ghost in the Shell standalone Complex called Cash Eye. If you've never seen, seen Ghost in the Shelf Daniel in Complex, you should totally go freaking watch it. But also, you should seek out Cash Eye if you don't really remember it. That's essentially a height like a heist episode of that show. <laughs> and they do all the things that heist stuff does. And it's a, it's a fun-ass time. So, on that note, this is where I think I'm going to leave it, but I just... I just think it's really interesting to see anime studios take on projects that would really, that really fit a specifically American audience, like a heist film or even something like My Hero Academia is very clearly like, okay, superheroes are popular, let's do a superhero thing. Like someone, the author of that, I forget the author's name, um was ver is very clearly drawing on superhero media from America. I mean, you look at All Might, All Might is Arm All my All is a Mark Miller character, just like toned down a lot. <laughs> uh and on that note, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition. If you like this episode, new episodes come out every Sunday and Thursday. And Thursday episodes are more um, about a specific show or property or film. Um, Next Thursday will be about super crooks, it is decided. But Sunday editions are more like this. They're more metatextual. They're more fandom-oriented, industry-oriented, that kind of thing. So until Thursday, I've been Alex, and we'll talk to you then. Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and this time I'm actually coming at you from bed. But, um, th- this is Lunchbox, Sunday edition. So, before we get started, I wanted to, um, first announce a little change to the Sunday editions. I think I'm going to switch to a, like, buy, to like an every two weeks kind of schedule, this is only so I can make sure that I give you guys, like, worthwhile Sunday editions, and also just free up my schedule a little bit, so I go a little less insane, and on that note, I, um, the thing I wanted to talk about today was actually nostalgia catching up with me, if that makes any sense. So, if any of you haven't, um, checked her out on, on YouTube, I know, I know she's got a Twitter handle and a, um, thriving Patreon, um, but if if any of you haven't checked out Hazel on, Hazel's channel on YouTube, definitely give it a look. But what I find really interesting about Hazel's channel is not necessarily, how should I put this, is not necessarily the oldest stuff she highlights on this this channel, but really, like, the newest stuff. Because, this is gonna be, this is gonna sound odd. All the people who got into anime, like, the kind of generation of American otaku before me, are people who I grew up listening to, like, um, the Anime World Order guys, um, to Sonic to some extent, Geek Nights, um, when, uh, Zach, when Zach Birchie from Anime News Network was still alive, I used to listen to the AnCat. I listen to it less now, but that's the kind of, like, ilk I have grown, I and people who think about anime in the way that I do who are my age, kind of grew into being a part of, because, they came just before us and they had access to kind of the very the very beginning of like anime fan culture in america and so the but the difference for people like me or or people in my age range or certainly people in Hazel's age range is we grew up Kind of alongside the internet, and that makes us ha- have a very different, much less in person experience than, say, someone like um, D- Daryl Threat, who grew up or um, D- Daryl Threat or any of the Anime World o- World Order crew because they grew up in like the era of tape trading. Of anime clubs, um, if you look at Riven Scott, they grew up. Um, they were in college at kind of the heyday of the RIT anime club, which is a pretty famous college anime club. Um, also, I have family members who went to RIT but did not participate in the anime club side of it. Um, that's a college, for the record. Um, but the. The interesting thing is that because that, because for very many years my fandom was very, with the exception of in school, where, like, I found other nerds to hang out with, ultimately, took a while, but I did, um, it was a very insular thing, it was a very solitary thing, and so, it kind of stuns me when, say Hazel does a video about a kind of cultish but still insane o v a from the early aughts called Icon club, which if you've ever if you've ever seen Icon Club oof, oof, I bought that thing mostly because of the female clerk at the video store at the time it was clothing. Was like, please buy this. I want to know what this is. But look at this thing. I can't put it on this t- on the DVD player in here. I'll get fired. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's ten bucks. Um, which is how I came to own a original an original run of the DVD copy of Icon Club, <laughs> which I pulled yesterday when I was watching Hazel's video on it because. I wonder if I have a more complete set of, um, of credits on that copy than she would have on hers that would tell me who the director of the second episode was, but I didn't, I like, I have yet to check, but on that note, I just, it, it struck me in that moment and it struck me in other, in other of her videos, like she I think the previous video she did was on Tenchi. And she labeled Tenchi as the forgotten shonen giant of the of the nineties. And like in my mind I'm like, no, I like I watch Tenchi on Toonami. Just like many, many other people I know. <laughs> like I, Tenchi, like Tenchi in Tokyo is one of my favorite like feels for an anime just because of the way they kind of capture this like mid-90s early aughts Tokyo that is both like financially fucked and like it, culturally interesting it's the whole her channel gives me like this like intense like oh uh, like w- we're the olds, we're part of the olds now, like, Tenchi, Ranma, all the stuff we grew up with and were, like, huge, modern, like, mo- considered to be huge, up-and-coming, soon-to-be classics are now firmly, like, classic, old-school anime in people's eyes, and I'm like, this is, this is strange, this makes me feel strange and one of the things i find interesting is like the the shows that were just on the cusp of that like like less than 10 years after something like icon which was um into actually more than 10 years like exactly 10 years ago um it's 11 years ago actually things like um 11 years later rather in the timeline of things Um, things like Classroom of the Elite, um, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna talk about it for my Thursday show, um, Spice and Wolf are getting, like, second seasons and reboots all of a sudden, and that's for two, that's, I think, for two reasons, really, because you go, if you go much later than the 2000s? In anime. You start to run up against... Some scenarios where you're going to have to make some big choices. You're going to have to make some very like... Hard decisions about what parts of certain things you want to adapt. You're going to adapt. Like um... Because there's a lot of like very inappropriate sex comedies there's a lot of things that just, like, don't, like, at first blush, don't read well with the way the world has gone and the way the world has progressed. And I, when I, when I watch, um, so I didn't talk about this because it was less about the content of the thing that I, it was more about the content of the thing I wanted to talk about with, um, Classroom of the Elite, but in addition to all the, like, clever social commentary all the very on-the-nose social commentary, but all the very necessary social commentary that, um, Classroom of the Elite brings to the table about, like, wealth and about the, like, corruption of wealth on, on wealth corruption of society and all that stuff... Classroom's elite has something else to it. It's doing for a reason, but it's and it's mainly focused on one character. They're, I forget the character's name because once again, they're all very long, complicated, traditional-sounding Japanese names. Because of course, um, it it's got like a leering, masculine stare. If, and, and, and it's like in a in a like nonchalant fan servicey way, it will like pause on a character on a female character chat. There's like it's totally unnecessary like people having conversations and they focus on someone who's not even part of the conversations panties in a tennis skirt kind of thing. And it's this, it's this vestige of an era that is, that that show is using for a purpose. It's using for, in most cases, a panty shot. God knows why they put that in there. Um, uh, But if you look at the character that they're doing it to, they're doing it to ultimately tell you, like, this character knows exactly what they're doing. Like, everything about this character is intentional, is, like, planned, is exactly this way because this character is totally putting on a front of being this kind of person who doesn't notice that she's shoving her chest into you to get, but knows that will get her what the reaction she wants or what she wants. And the, of course, also, that show also has an entire, I think it's like episode five, an entire episode devoted, devoted to an elaborate scheme to peep on the girls' changing room. It's, it, it, it goes a little wild every once in a while. But the long and short of it is, is, when you go to make a second season of that do you revive that character exactly as they were with all the like masculine leering grossness because you have to have the conversation there of like do you have to do you want to do that character justice in that way or do you want to like take that aspect of that character and direct it somewhere else those are decisions you have to start to make but but that's with a character where you get the idea that like the grossness has a point and the it's part of the characterization but what do you do with something like Iken if you look at something like Iken that has really no redeeming value it's, it, it, it's, what do you do with that show? Do you, re- <clears throat> do you revive like the old weird sex comedies of the 90s? Well, God forbid the 80s, the 70s or 80s. What do you do with those shows? What do you do with something like, um, I think it's called like Magic Area 88, it's an old thing from the, I think, the, I think the late 80s where you open up um, and just like the entire opening sequence of that is spent topless in a bathroom. It's been on a, on a female character topless in a bathroom in a way that is very clearly like meant to be fan servicey. What do you do with that stuff? and like yeah f- fan service is part of anime and it's like understood as part of anime in a way that isn't true but like what i think that has done from the people create from the people creating this stuff who if the past like couple days of anime creators releasing artwork in support of Ukraine has said anything it's been they know what they're doing they they have a sense of the world as any good artist does is they is they've kind of like moved up the ladder and instead of doing something from the midnight from like the early nineties instead of looking at reviving something from the early nineties, they're looking at reviving things like say spice and wolf. Where the, so, like, I'm going to talk about this in my Spice and Wolf um, episode, which is now I've backed myself in the corner. And I got to do it. Good thing I've seen the whole thing um, already. <laughs> um, But the, like, the angle of the Newsy and Spice and Wolf is more almost like you're witnessing the next chapter in a fable you wi- you are actively witnessing a main ca- um, the main character um constantly be reminded like oh yeah she's she's a wolf goddess from the north country and i like, I just happened to run into her in a town I was visiting. This is, like, it's probably totally normal for her not to wear clothes in front of people. Like, I'm not dealing with, like, a, v- a random woman. I'm dealing with, like, the kinds of mystical shit that, like, you see in paintings hung that, that are banned and burned by the church. Um, and, I just think it's interesting that, like, it's my set of nostalgia's turn to, like, get reboots, second seasons, like, long-awaited second seasons, um, and stuff like that. It's just, I and I thought that was Shaman King, too, like, Shaman King was on when I was a kid. Shaman King was still as brutal as it is in its current incarnation when I was a kid. And I was like, this is, this is a lot of death and fucked up shit for, like, a kid show when I was a child. And I still, like, oh, wow. They definitely narked that poor lady, like, as soon as the main character, Yo's back got turned. Um, in the end of the first part they put out. But... I, I just had this thought of, it, it was sparked by um Hazel's, if you have any, do you have any passing interest in like early aughts, late 90s, early 90s, or even like early, early 80s, um, early to late 80s um, anime, definitely go check out Hazel's channel on um YouTube. She also does a lot of stuff about video games. Um, she did a whole video that was pretty great about, like, I think Christmas-themed... The nostalgia for Christmas-themed anime RPGs. Um, and... I it just... It, it... Her channel reminds me of, of the ads in Issues of An-America from my childhood, if that makes any sense. And if you're like, well, how, why is he being so specific about that? The reason I'm being so specific about that is because I think there's still a website or a blog devoted to cataloging, like, old... Not the articles, but the advertisements from, I think, only old an America issues. Because they have this... an America ran... I know in the 90s, and I know in the early 2000s. And it has this... The advertisements in it, the advertisements in anime magazines of that time have a very specific look and feel that captures kind of the stylistic choices of the 90s. The drop shadows the like the grunge the bad the bad um like the bad color choices, the awkward color choices, the like ganky girl anime designs it 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 all had this feel, and it's just it it, surprise, it surprises me. Part of the reason this surprises me is because it surprises me when I look at things like, um, say, Boruto. Boruto is a perfect example for this. Boruto is based off of a property that started when I was in, like, middle school. And by the time I was in high school, I actually, I, I think I was in elementary school when Naruto started by the time I was in high school, it, like, we had only just gotten, I think, to, we'd only, we'd only just gotten close to some, to, um, Naruto Shippuden. And, like, the first, after the first seasons of Naruto Shippuden were getting in full swing. And it... That that show changed into like a like more mature aimed thing. It like grew up with its audience a little bit. I mean, sure, it was still a shown-in-action show for boys, but it shifted from being like a shown-in-action show for boys in like elementary to middle school to being a shown-in-action show for boys in from middle school to high school and that was a that was a big deal and the nostalgia for that stuff is strong even in me i mean i love i love a good rock lee leg weight drop as much as the next nerd is what i will say and I you you then look at boruto and you look at this like this show that is only kind of in its best moments carrying the water of the thing that came before it because whoever make whoever makes decisions was like we we can't we can't make something new we can't make something new in the landscape that exists because you have shows that are like doing it in a way that had never been done before, mostly using integrating horror tropes into shonen tropes, which is a little genius, like something like a um Jujutsu Kaisen or the about to come out, I think in like 2023 actually, um, or maybe tail end of 2022, um, Chainsaw Man. That are making, that are, like, making the maturity adjustments for, like, a much, a much less innocent age. Uh, But, they wanted to, but they also want to produce something that feels, that has a slightly less, dark and edgy tinged than something like Jujutsu Kaisen or, once again, Chainsaw Man. And so you're left with, like, oh, we want this to be successful, but we don't have the, like, we don't want to give ourselves the ability to use the kind of have the kind of teeth that something like the those two shows have. So they continue on an IP into a new series. They call it Boruto Naruto Next Generations, and it, it's telling to me that, that show, and that manga originally, which was originally supposed to be like a one-shot manga, if you've seen the show, you haven't seen the manga, the, um, arc where Boruto, Naruto abandons his son to go rescue, um to go rescue uh Mitsuki. I think to go rescue Sakura actually um from Oroch- to go get Orochima- Sakura from Orochimaru's like new lair is it with the original with the original manga like introduction to Boruto it's Naruto basically seeing like oh hey um, Sakura's daughter left because she's convinced she's not her daughter. She's convinced she's Kieran's daughter, and like, I'm gonna go get her by <laughs> in the most dick dad move ever. Um, but that was really intentional because it gives you this focus on two of the main characters from Naruto for. A couple of chapters introducing a new... Introducing a new... Introducing a new character. And introduces you to a new character. And introduces you to a new world. Uses all the world building they did from the previous show. To build on... To build a new thing on top of it. And expand it further. Ultimately. But... Like I like I said, that is built off of like nostalgia from things that premiered, especially in America, in like my early te- my early teens, late preteen years, and it just it's like I had a similar feeling when Pokemon Go first came out, a bunch of years ago now. And that, like, I'm like, I would never thought that, like, my, uh, like, I thought I would always, like, occasionally buy it, like, whenever a new Pokemon game came out, like, look at it, side-eye it, and maybe buy it. But I never thought it would be, have a kind of cultural relevance of, like, oh, like, kids, you couldn't, you couldn't beat that, you couldn't beat that Pokemon Go point because you were using a like, an electric type versus a ground type, of course it wasn't going to work, what did you think was going to happen, or like me knowing enough about chance to be like, I'm pretty sure this thing has high HP, 600, yeah I'll leave it in this point, and like just have that point for like like, a week and just piss every little kid of my hometown, in my town in my hometown at the time off and it it's just interesting and it's it's an interest it's an interesting experience as someone who had been a fan of anime for decades now to just like see it wholesale like just feel like oh we're turning our nostalgia eye towards the things you like now (laughs) in like a real constant way like you and jeff sue are gonna have Twitter celebrations because we're bringing back Spice and Wolf, baby. You remember your, like, weird college course about medieval economics that was Spice and Wolf? Because we do. And I, I think it will, that will continue to be interesting. Um, on that note, if you like this if you like this podcast, um, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Third day are more, um, about, like, a single show or my thoughts on a property or a single show. Um, Sunday is, like, it's more like this. It's more metatextual. It's about industry news. It's about fandom. It's about stuff I'm thinking about around anime. And on that note, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition. And I will talk to you on Third Day.